Why don't you remain standing and I'll read to you the text of scripture that I'm going to teach on this evening, which is found in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, once again, we pray that you who are called the very word of God would come now, just as you did in incarnation, that you would come through your spirit and that you would be our preacher, you would be our teacher, and that we, like your disciples, would sit at the feet of the master so that the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts are acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. I wonder if you know an expression. Have you heard of feral sheep? Feral sheep. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor in Florida. His name is Neil, and Neil is a very wise pastor. And when he became the pastor of the church that he currently serves, Neil called a friend of his who was a veterinarian who kept some feral sheep. Feral sheep are sheep that are raised in the wild, uh, that are taken by other animals, sometimes by wolves or other wild animals, and they're raised by other wild animals that are not sheep, and they take on the characteristics of those animals. So if a sheep strays too far and is taken by a wolf and raised by a wolf, they act more like a wolf than they do like a sheep. Well, my friend called up his veterinarian friend and said, do you have some feral sheep? And he said, as a matter of fact, I do. I keep them here on my farm with me. Why? And he said, I'm going to bring my elders from my church for a field trip. And so he packed up his elders one day and didn't tell them where they were going. And he said, come with me. We're going on an outing. I'm going to teach you something important about how to shepherd a church. So he took them to his friend and he put them in the sheep pen, but the sheep weren't in there yet. And he said, I have a very simple task for you. I'm going to give you some feed and I want each one of you to feed some sheep. And so my friend, the pastor, left the sheep pen and then said, go. And they released these feral sheep and they came in to where all of these 
shepherd elders of the church were standing and some of these men were athletic and they were tall and they were muscular and they were strong and these sheep came in and they were running crazy and they ran into these elders and they head butted them and one of them stood up on his hind legs like this and he kept saying from the sidelines my friend feed the sheep feed the sheep feed the sheep and these men became so afraid they had to leave the pen how do you feed feral sheep well you have to be a very good shepherd let's take a look at one in this passage i want you to notice three things the shepherd's purpose the shepherd's price and the shepherd's prize purpose price and prize first of all notice the shepherd's purpose in verses 9 and 10 i am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says all that came before him were thieves and robbers. Who are these thieves and robbers? I've heard this like you have, this passage preached on by many people. And that's a huge question. Who, who are the thieves and robbers that came before Jesus? Sometimes... Uh, preachers will start pointing to politicians or people that they don't like very much the books that they don't like they might say oh the thieves and the robbers who are they they're Nancy Pelosi they're Donald Trump they're somebody else in pop culture but where Jesus is standing he's pointing to the teachers of Israel he's talking about the Pharisees He's not talking directly about Satan or the devil, although they're in league with him. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the shepherds of Israel. In a very real sense, what Jesus is talking about is not feral sheep so much as feral shepherds. This happens in scripture time and time again. Ezekiel 34 and other places in the Old Testament, you find out that the leaders of Israel were called the shepherds of Israel and often the prophets blasted the shepherds of Israel for being fat and lazy and not caring for the sheep think about all the prominent people throughout the history of Israel that were shepherds not the least of which are Moses and David they were literal shepherds who were given the task of leading the spiritual people of God the context for John chapter 10 is that in John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. He'd been blind for a very long time. And as a response to this man receiving his sight, the shepherds of the temple in Jerusalem excommunicated him from the temple. This is how feral the shepherds were in Jesus' time. They couldn't accept a miracle from the Messiah that restored the sight of a blind man. So as blind guides, they excommunicated him. Can you imagine such a thing? That's the effect that they were having as thieves and robbers. They were stealing from the people of God. They were stealing from them the very worship of the God who created them. Jesus says their purpose, these feral shepherds their purpose is to steal to kill and destroy but Jesus purpose is to give life abundantly do you know any spiritual leaders whose purpose is to steal to kill and destroy what is it like when the people who are supposed to shepherd sheep 
end up being the ones who make enemies out of the sheep, out of the very children of God. If God so loved the world that he gave his son to save, what do you think God thinks about his babies, about his sheep? Jesus refers to the sheep gate. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is the door. There's at least seven I am statements of Jesus and John. I always argue that there's an eighth if you include the most potent of all those where Jesus simply says before Abraham was, I am. That's my favorite. So there's at least eight of these. Um, This is the third of those. And Um, In in this one, the effect of saying, I am the door for the sheep, not just the good shepherd, but the door, he's saying something very similar, almost the same thing, because the sheep gate wasn't a wooden fence. It wasn't uh, some kind of opening and closing thing like you have out here between the car park and the front of the church. The sheep gate was a gap in a rock wall, and the shepherd sat there in the sheep gate his body his presence was the gate for the sheep and the effect here is he allows in the sheep and keeps out the wolves he protects the sheep he cares for the sheep as they come through he knows them each one of his sheep by name and so the spiritual effect is here that those who come through through jesus the sheep gate find salvation they also find security for all those who enter through jesus they find a place of rest and sanctuary inside the sheep pen they're also select only those who hear jesus only those who respond to his voice only those he grants admittance can come in the 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 people who came before him came to steal and to kill and destroy he comes to give life abundantly or life eternal his body his very presence is the one who keeps the gate and the purpose is life and life to the full they the sheep the flock of god enjoy abundant life and he keeps out the thieving wolves have you ever thought about that there are wolves running around wearing sheep's clothing today maybe you've seen some of them several years ago i saw a really condemning and really convicting documentary where a film crew from a very, very secular news source was allowed to follow a faith healer around. If I named his name, you'd all know who he was. He's very prominent worldwide. And they followed one particular family of a a child that was nine years old. And they lived in central Canada and they didn't have very much money. And their nine-year-old child had a terminal brain tumor And you can imagine how crippling that was to a nine-year-old child and how uh, upsetting it was to her parents to see their child literally withering away in front of them. Well, they took all the money that they had and they rented a van and they drove across Canada more than 1,000 miles to get to this faith healer. And as they went to the the healing crusade, the evening the film crew was filming them they were allowed to film everything right up until sort of an altar call was given where they said bring the sick up and so and so will lay his hands on them and heal them and as they approached the front the gatekeepers told them to turn the cameras off but the news crew stayed there and took notes and they said what happened was the gatekeepers said we're not going to let you up to see the the faith healer until you make a pledge of at least two thousand dollars 
and if you'll give at least $2,000, then we'll allow you to have access. And so they pledged the money that they didn't even have and said, we'll have to pay you on time. And they said, that's fine. Set up payment arrangements, give us a credit card, and we'll debit the money on a certain date. And then they allowed them to come up. And then the camera went back on. And the faith healer put his hands on this sickly nine-year-old child and then promised in Jesus' name that the child was healed. They put her back in the van, drove back across Canada. Two weeks later, the child was dead. The film crew went back and asked, do you still believe in the faith healer? Are you going to make good on your pledge of $2,000? Absolutely, we believe in it. Our faith was just not strong enough to receive the healing. Does that sound like the good shepherd who came to give life abundantly? It sounds to me more like a thief who came to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's the shepherd's purpose, is life abundantly. But the shepherd also has a price in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There's a contrast that's about to go on between a good shepherd and a hired hand. Not just the thieves who came before, but a good shepherd. What's the definition of good shepherd? He gives it to you. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus, what does that mean? A good shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Good. It's one of those words in the English language we almost have to stop using because it means everything. But here, I think it means Beautiful, noble, honorable, worthy of praise. He's the good shepherd. Why not the great shepherd, Jesus? Good means morally beautiful, noble, worthy of praise. Because he lays down his life for the sheep. He loves the sheep so much that he loves their life not as much as his, but to the exclusion of his. He loves the sheep so much that he would die for them. This is the definition of goods. Good. Shepherds watch over sheep. They protect them. They feed them. The good shepherd really loves sheep. Let's explore the goodness of that. Jesus says in verses 17 and 18, for this reason, for the reason of being good, for the reason that he lays down his life for the sheep. Because of that reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. I want you to notice that Jesus is referring to something here I almost hear theologians never talk about. We're sometimes obsessed with talking about human free will. We almost never talk about divine free will. And Jesus is referring to that here. It's one of the things that makes him so good as a good shepherd is that he's free to lay down his life, and he does. He came freely, not coerced. He didn't come because we earned his coming or deserve his coming. We certainly didn't earn or deserve him laying down his life for us. And he didn't begin to lay his life down on the walk up to the cross. He began to lay his life down the day he found himself taking on human form in the womb of the Virgin Mary. It was a life of constantly laying down his life. That's how good he is. It's divine free will. It's divine possession. It's his life, perfect life, laid down to take it up again. And Jesus is innocent in this transaction. He doesn't lay down his life 
because it's being snatched out of his hand. It isn't being tug of ward. It isn't being pulled on and he lets it go. He lays it on an altar with no one there coercing him to do it. He's free to do it. It's his possession. He lays it down. He didn't forget where he laid it down. He didn't lay it down carelessly or just throw it down like something, a piece of trash or garbage. He placed it down to take it back up again. He knew where he laid it down. He knew whom he laid it down with, and then he took it back up. And it's only because he was innocent in the laying down of his life that he was free to take it back up again. This is what Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 tell us is that because he's innocent, his life was laid down. It wasn't a death due to the wage of sin. Because he was sinless, he was able to lay his life down and the grave had no power or Satan had no power over him. He was free to take it back up again. This is something very important to the gospel is to understand that Jesus freely laid down his life. This is one of the things that makes the gospel so beautiful is the freedom of Christ to lay his life down and that the grave had no hold over him. And because the grave had no hold over him and his life is imputed to you, it has no hold over you either. This is the thing that Jesus said, and if you ever want to ponder over the deep questions of the faith, where was Jesus after he died on the cross and breathed his last? I think it's not just a frivolous statement of Jesus that he said as he he was dying, Father, into your hands I commend or lay down my life. I commend my spirit. He didn't hand his life over to the devil. He didn't hand his life over to hell. He handed his life over to God. It was God's wrath that was assuaged in the death of Christ, not the devil's. This is very important. This is what Jesus is doing, this is what he's saying when he says he has the authority to lay it down and take it back up again. God loves the Son eternally and unconditionally since before the foundation of the world. He doesn't, in a sense, love Jesus more after the incarnation than he did before, but in another sense, he does. There's a quality of God's love visited on his son that's different after the incarnation, after his death on the cross and after the resurrection because he came and freely laid down his life and redeemed the people. There's a quality to the love that God has even for the son that he went and did it. He accomplished what he was sent to do. He did the father's will. And there's a, there's a, there's a reward in there of the father's love. Just like when our sons or our daughters go and score the winning point, there's a something going on there where you recognize your child for having done it for having gone and accomplished something really great and there's something here as well when I was a young man before I went into the ministry I I had a secular job I worked at a customer service agency for AT&T telephone company and I remember one day there was sort of a hater that worked with me who was a pagan, uh, an, an atheist, and he was always trying to, you know, goad me and ask me some question I didn't know the answer to or make some snarky comment to really, you know, try to make me angry, I suppose. And one day he rolled out of his cubicle and said, hey, Toby, let me ask you a question. He said, you believe Jesus is God, right? Yes, I do. And Jesus, uh, before 
before uh, he was born uh, to the Virgin Mary, before he became a man, he had uh, perfect knowledge. He had uh, omniscience. I said, yeah, I, I believe that. So Jesus knew before he came that he was going to die. Yes, he knew that. From eternity past, he knew that. Okay, so what you're saying to me, Toby, is that Jesus, knowing he was going to die before he came, he, he set all that up. He, he came and did that. And, and so why isn't it suicide? Isn't it just suicide he committed? You know, I saw red for a few minutes, and I was completely unable to talk, which is a real feat for somebody like me. And, and after thinking about it for a little while, I, I said, hey, Harry, roll back out and let me answer your question you know there's a huge difference between suicide and sacrifice that's the good shepherd he laid down his life freely by contrast to that there's a hired hand and i think what jesus is talking about or who jesus is talking about is the pharisees in verses 12 to 13 he tells us the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep he's the hired hand and what does the hired hand do well The hired hand is an employee in verse 12. He cares nothing about the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he runs away. He abandons the sheep. He's an employee. It's just a job. I just work here, man. I'm not the boss. I don't own these sheep. I'm not ultimately responsible for them. I'm not going to, you know, risk my life or anything. It's about a paycheck. It's about getting paid. And if you die for a bunch of sheep, you can't be around to spend the money He's, a, he's an employee, and he's also a coward. When he sees danger coming, he runs away. By the way, I would have to say, uh, anybody here that is a soldier or an airman, anybody that is in the military, you're not an employee either. When you put on the uniform, employee values go right out the window. You're a soldier. You're a soldier. You're always a soldier. If you get in your car and drive off base and go to a restaurant, you're a soldier. When you're on vacation, you're still a soldier. Whether you've got the uniform on or not, if you're on duty or not, you're a soldier. The same thing is true of shepherds as of soldiers. They have to love something enough to defend it with their life. And in the shepherd's case, it's sheep. But when the danger comes, because they love money and love the paycheck and not the sheep, they run away. They're careless. They're employees, they're cowards, they're careless. Ever trusted somebody that you thought was a good shepherd and find out later on that they'll run away, they'll bail on you? What does laying one's life down for something lesser tell us about the one who lays it down? It tells us that they have a love of a beautiful and noble quality. Even though it's a cheesy movie, I love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, probably because it came out the week before Deborah and I got married. And I remember sitting in the theater watching that, and there's a funny thing that happens in that film. Robin goes away to fight the Crusades, and many years later he comes back a changed man. And there's sort of this, you know, pseudo-romance going on between Robin and the maid Marion, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with him because all she can remember is the spoiled brat who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and only teased her his whole life. And now she finds him leading a group of people acting the part of uh, this noble character. And so she begins to question him about that. What caused all of this change in you? And he says something to her I'll never forget. He says, nobility is not a birthright. I've seen trained soldiers 
run at the first sign of danger. But on the other hand, I've seen the lowliest squire pull a spear from his own side to stand and defend a dying horse. You know why I love Jesus so much? Because with a crown of thorns on his head, a cross on his back, and a spear in his side, he stood and defended a dying man. He's beautiful. He's noble. He's good. Is he your good shepherd? The shepherd has a purpose. He has a price, but he also has a prize. If you see verse 14 and 15, Jesus again repeats it. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I want you to notice how intimate the relationship is between Christ, the good shepherd, and the sheep. And this is one of the statements that Jesus makes in the New Testament, that if you ponder on it for just a minute, it should blow your mind. What he's saying here is almost too great for human contemplation or words. He calls his own by his own sheep by name and leads them. That's something this church loves, a doctrine called election. He names the sheep and they follow him. There's no bargain. There's no resistance. He calls you by name and you come to him. But then the second part of this is the good shepherd knows his sheep, but the sheep know him. How do they know him? They know me. The sheep know his voice and follow him. The sheep knows he's not a stranger and they follow only him. How do they know him? How well do they know him? Well, this word know in the Greek is a very curious word because it means more than just cognitive information. Jesus doesn't just know, say, the sheep's favorite color. He doesn't just know what kind of food they like to eat. There's a lot more packed into the Greek concept of knowledge than that. In fact, there's a wonderful study you could do if you just go through, say, a King James or New King James Bible, and you look up all the passages where it says someone knew someone else, and then look at the result of that. Starting in the first pages of Scripture, where Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore him a son. What kind of a relationship where a man knows a woman that bears a son? He doesn't know Eve's favorite color. He doesn't just know the restaurants Eve likes to eat in. He doesn't just know her favorite pastimes. They don't just have mutual interest in each other. There's something deep going on here, a very intimate relationship. Perhaps the most intimate relationship that can be had between two human beings is the one being described here, but then magnified by the fact that Jesus doesn't say, my sheep know me and I know them like a man knows a woman or a man knows his wife, or a wife knows her husband, or even a parent knows a child. That's not what Jesus says here. What he says here is, my sheep know me, and I know them, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now let me ask you something here. How intimate a relationship is Jesus describing between two eternal, holy, perfect sinless beings what would it be like to have a relationship with somebody else in eternity uncrowded by other people uncrowded by other issues where there was never any shadow or suspect that they would ever do anything wrong against you there would never be any betrayal there would never be anything but the purest and highest form of love between two people two persons a trinity of people say 
where they had perfect knowledge of each other. There was no hiding. There was no mystery between them. They knew each other perfectly and completely, and there was never any specter of betrayal of any kind. What kind of knowledge is that? What kind of wonder is that? And Jesus says, that's how I know them. I get that. You're God, and you can know us that way. But no, that's how they know me. You want to know what the prize of our faith is? You want to know what the payoff is? What the real prize of having the good shepherd as your savior is? It's not a big bag of money at the end of a rainbow. It's not a mansion that's waiting for you in some ethereal plane of existence after you die. It's not some monetary reward like streets of gold or something that could be put in the hand. The prize of this life is knowing him. That's the prize. The good shepherd's prize is knowing him. And Jesus says it's not just going to be you select few people living here in Jerusalem with me 2,000 years ago. I have other sheep, not of this fold, that must come in also. He's describing you, and he's describing me. He's describing people that live at the ends of the earth, people that are not Jewish, people that are not from the Middle East. He's describing people of every nation, tongue, and tribe that must come in. They must come in. When Jesus uses the word must so that there's one flock, one shepherd, must is it will be done. They will know me and I will know them perfectly, eternally. That's the prize is that together we get to know him. I'm going to leave you with a principle and then a story. The principle is this. If you want to save, you have to lay down. It's my kind of, my kind of principle. If you want to save somebody, just lay down. I like that. Jesus laid down his perfect life to save some people so that we would know him. What parts of our lives do we need to lay down so that they come and know him? Christianity is about, right, taking up your cross to follow him, but you can't take up his cross and also hold on to your stuff. You can only hold one or the other. There's probably some stuff that we have to lay down about ourselves in order to take up his cross and bring them in. What is that? What about us needs to be laid down? What about our life? The life of a Christian is not one of acquiring of stuff and acquiring of reputation for ourselves it's about laying that stuff down for the cause of christ and his cross that's what will bring them in that's why your church was so crowded this morning with all these young families is because christ is exalted and people come to that people that are not necessarily of the same flock as they were come here to rally around the good shepherd there's a book that I love a lot called Cry the Beloved Country by Alan Patton, who was writing during the time of apartheid in South Africa. They made it into a movie about 25 or 30 years ago, starring, uh, starring um, Darth Vader. I can't remember his name now. James Earl Jones, great film, great book. Uh, it's about um, a Christian pastor who's black and a white man living in South Africa who's wealthy and these two men, their sons, have a sort of set on collision course with each other. 
Uh, the pastor's son rebels against his father and runs away into Johannesburg and is not seen again for quite a while. And Johannesburg is the place that people go to to get lost. It's the big city. It's the place of decadence. It's the place of sin. And every time someone goes off to Johannesburg, they're never heard from again, and they sort of fall into sin. And so this pastor, this faithful pastor, his son disappears, and they find out that he's done something bad and he has to go and see about him. He goes into the city to search for his son. He's searching for his son. He's searching for his son. And come to find out he has become part of a gang and have broken into the house of a rich man's son, a white man's son. And in the robbery, he's killed. And so the black man's son, the pastor's son, is being held in prison. And the white man's son is dead. And these two men have to deal with each other. And so while this Reverend Kumalo is in, South, is in Johannesburg trying to deal with all the fallout of his son and his crime and what he did. He's hosted there by a young pastor and this young pastor takes him from place to place and protects him from the street gangs and from being robbed and shows him how devious the culture is there and he's trying to guide him like a shepherd the whole time and protect this older gentle Christian pastor. At the end of the story, he takes him in his little room and hands him a Bible and he opens the Bible up and it's full of money and he said, I've taken a vow of poverty and I want you to have this money. Your money was stolen. I want you to take this money and go back home and grieve your son. And Reverend Kamalo turns to him and says, why are you so kind to me? You've been so kind to me. And the young pastor says something I'll never forget. He says, I am not kind. I'm a selfish and sinful man, but God put his hand on me. Nick Bullock and I love Jesus a lot, but we are not the good shepherd. We are selfish and sinful men, but God put his hand on us. That's it. Has God put his hand on you? When he does, you'll know the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be the good shepherd. We pray that as we leave here tonight and embrace a new week in front of us, that we would have the strength of the knowledge that Christ knows us and that we know him. That we have not just stirred the figments of our imagination or hope that there is a savior or a shepherd to our lives, but that he's real and his sheep are real and they're numerous and abundant and we're part of a real life that we've come in over this weekend and lord's day and we have eaten of the food that the shepherd provides we've been embraced by a shepherd who loves us and knows us not just our good stuff but our bad stuff too and he's taking care of us he's fed us he's comforted us in all of the ways in which we need to be comforted and now as we go out to find pasture outside the sheepfold, we pray that the shepherd would follow, and that he would continue to protect us with his rod and staff, and that we may look around with great curiosity and wonder, who are the sheep of God that have not yet come into the fold? And may we be bold to tell them we are not the Pharaoh, we're the sheep Come in and find a shepherd who will love you for eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.